everybody. How you guys doing today? This is Dr. Brandon Cruz and Dr. Jerry Boyd with Manips and Sips here for another podcast. It's been about uh, a week or so hiatus. Uh, that's my fault. I was away in uh, Denver, Colorado uh, for about a week. Uh, first half was for uh, my resident or not residency, my fellowship over at Regis University covering the cervicothoracic spine. Had some great minds there, Josh Cleland and Cam McDonald there, as well as uh, a bunch of the other fits in training. And the latter half of my uh, my trip was just kind of gallivanting and touring Colorado. So got to see a lot of great things. Uh, went out there with my girlfriend and uh, had a great time. So sorry about the uh, the hiatus for you know the uh, podcast here, but we're back and ready to go. Uh, Jeremy, how you been, man? Uh, all's been good over here. Uh, business is uh, doing well. Had a pretty exciting week, and one day I got uh, my first uh, treatment of a actual fellow, like physician. Uh, then scheduled uh, our local university's uh, athletic director as a client, and someone actually finally came in and saw one of our signs outside. So it was a good trifecta of a day of a. Of clients, so got the week going, and uh, I brought on my first uh, actual employee, my first full-time employee. So uh, it's been going pretty well uh, over here. So need to get into more uh, learning and getting back into taking some classes and courses. But right now, just focusing on growing the biz. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Sounds like you're rocking and rolling over there. Glad to hear uh, you're on the right track, and much success to you. Uh, what are you drinking today, man? Today is a uh, good, uh, uh, maybe the best beer, most uh, fitting for this. Uh, I didn't even tell you about this. It's uh, Amagang's Collaboration 2016 is the name of the beer. And uh, this uh, podcast is a collaboration between me and you. Uh, so I saw it instantly. Uh, needed to get it from just by the name alone. But Amagang is probably one of my favorite uh uh, breweries or um, never actually been to it but my favorite type of beers uh, this is a um, I actually don't even can't say I know what this uh, this is this is a uh, double double block uh, ale um, pretty really good beer I'm always a fan of Omni Gang uh, as we talked before um, that uh, I also will mention based off my history of buying a glass at every brewery I am drinking out of the Atco Brewery uh, Company, um, which is in Atco, New Jersey, uh, South Jersey over here. Um, cool story. Actually, uh, one of the guys that goes to the CrossFit gym that I'm at uh, is, one of the, is one of the owners to it, and I kind of recognized him So um, from going to the brewery year before, so it was cool to, to link up, and he's actually one of the main guys that always like kind of stops what he's doing to support uh, other members of the team. So feel felt the uh, pay tribute to him and uh, Dan Hoover over there and uh, drink out his glass that he so nicely gave us. What about you? Brandon? There you go. Paying some homage. Speaking of beers, uh, before I get into what I'm drinking, uh, Denver is known for its breweries. Um, and I guess to a little lesser extent, uh, it's uh, distilleries. So, well, I'm not a big beer guy, as you know, but I went in Rome, correct? Uh, so I swung by a, uh, a bunch of uh, um, breweries. A uh, Call to Arms is one. Uh, our mutual friend, I believe Ratio is another one. Uh, Finn's. There's basically uh, just a whole strip. You could just kind of go door to door. So 
did that. Uh, my stomach wasn't too happy with all the beer afterwards, uh, just because uh, I can't handle them personally, not because they weren't they weren't good. But if uh, anybody's ever in Denver, uh, there was a list right there I, I talked about, and there's many more you can uh, check out as well. But today I'm drinking actually a deviation away from the bourbon and whiskey. I'm drinking a cognac, uh, good old Remy Martin. Uh, this was a birthday gift. Uh, I still have a few more bottles to go, so I think uh, I'm going to be cycling through some of these uh, bottles here because now I have a collection of about eight whiskey bourbon drinks right now. So the liquor cabinet is filling up, and I can't go through these fast enough. But this is uh, this is Remy Martin. Uh, I believe 1738 is the, the bottle I have. So I'll be uh, rocking with this today. Is that where the Fetty Wap song is from? Is, is that is that yeah. where it- is it, am I making that connection right now? I, I hope you are, and uh, I'm not the guy to ask. But he is actually uh, a local guy from New Jersey here, so huh. maybe maybe we should know that one. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that just hit me. I was like, oh, that's where he got that number from. I never actually looked it up, but oh, good old fact of the day there. Um, yes, uh, yes, the 1738. Yes, that th- that is from the the Remy Martin. Yes, and in the song, correct. You were right there. I wasn't sure where you're going with that. I was like a little confused, but yes, that is that is correct. <laughs> Look at that. Funny. Um, got yeah, I think I, I think I looked that one up uh, a few years back. What, what was that song? Big 2015 or so, 2014, somewhere yeah, around there. Around then. Uh, and yes, I did look that one up, and I believe it was. Now, if that was his meaning, you'd have to ask him. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let's kind of get in get into today. A uh, hot topic here: uh, CAD arterial dissection. Uh, this was actually a big topic this a uh, couple weekends ago over in um, fellowship. Uh, got some people to think critically and, and reevaluate maybe some of their prior beliefs or maybe what they were told in school. I know I was on the, uh, I guess the side of the fence of manipulating and that manipulation itself does not cause uh cad's or arterial dissections so i I figured we could uh kind of bring that on today and i know we discussed this in in residency as well but there's still an overwhelming um and even with fits you know fellows in training overwhelming uh i guess misnomer or old belief that manipulations are poor for the cervical spine and can cause or or cervical arterial dissection and um the evidence is just not there supporting it and it's not to say that a hundred percent we are not cause of it but on the other side it's we um you know what we do is probably less than what we were taught in school so uh what were your what are your thoughts jerry um yeah so I would say that I probably make obviously coming out of school and everything like that. Um, I was probably one of those people where there was some sort of fear associated with the cervical manipulation for that. Uh, we were taught the traditional CAD test, you know, the extensive rotation and uh, lateral flexion and see if that caused any symptoms or the pre-manipulative holds and everything like that, even though we weren't, uh, in my school, we didn't learn manipulations of anywhere or the cervical spine, especially. Um, but uh, yeah, following residency and uh, practicing it more, uh, you know, cervical manipulations, I haven't had any um, 
can't say I've had any adverse events to it. Um, and it's just a matter of, uh, you know, knowing when to do it, um, constantly following up with your, your clients and, uh, you know, making sure that you're doing it appropriately. So, um, that's kind of my, uh, quick evolution of things of, you know, uh, I also was previously before I started my own practice, um, working with, uh, more of a senior population. Uh, so I was like, cool with manipulating, uh, younger individuals for my, you know, athletic population, but steered away from uh, manipulating any of my, you know, anyone from pretty much 55 and up. Uh, and, you know, and then I started, you know, diving more into the research, residency, the courses that you, you've provided. And, you know, actually probably more of our risk is, is more with our younger population. So, I actually just started manipulating, uh, doing some cervical manipulations when appropriate to even our seniors. And, you know, as long as you educate them properly, uh, again, no adverse events. And uh, a couple times, you know, I've tried the thoracic manipulation approach. I think I still I still kind of go with that to start off with things. But a lot of times uh, if I held off on that and threw in the cervical manip, it's, uh, it's what really helped them out at times. Yeah, you you uh, put up an interesting point there about providing that thoracic manipulation earlier, and uh, I believe IFOMP would give you kudos to you on that one. Is that's the recommendation to provide a a thoracic manipulation first and see how the patient responds, and then go to maybe cervical mobilizations again, wait a session and or a week, and then see how they respond, and then. You know, finally, you know, after a couple sessions, maybe a week or two, you know, throw in that cervical manip um, if you feel it's uh, it's warranted there. And, you know, that's a, you know, I guess the conservative way to go about mm -hmm. it um, or the checks and balances way. You're following a guideline, um, which, you know, for some or for many, which, you know, is great advice. There's no, you know, no harm in that as as well. But that's not always the case. And again, these guidelines are just that there's guidelines, you know, we need to be able to think outside the box and forget outside the box. We need to begin to think for ourselves as commissions, as primary care providers and learn when and when not to provide uh, certain treatments, uh, whether it is a mobilization or manipulation or even exercise. Uh, some of these other interventions that are out there are probably um, much more. Uh, I guess have a potential for complications that we overlook. And uh, at least in school, there's this kind of magic approach or this uh, negative uh, connotation with cervical manipulations as, you know, they can cause death. But if you look at a lot of the numbers in the research, uh, you're looking at, you know, six out of, you know, anywhere from a million to 10 million that are having negative adverse effects. But some of uh, our other interventions, exercise, NSAIDs that are prescribed, surgical uh, procedures of the cervical spine or even lumbar spine have much, much higher rates. Uh, we're talking, you know, 20 to 30 per hundred or 17 out of a thousand for some of these uh, other interventions. But they seem to be handed out uh, and done with a lot uh, more or more recklessness. Yeah, now... Um... 
who recently I just saw it recently the FDA has now warned people of against epidurals which has been uh, something that's been kind of proclaimed as that's kind of the safe option or the in-between option to surgery if people especially when we're talking about radiculopathies and everything um, I've had so many people told me like oh well I'm gonna go for epidural that's safe enough and there's so many uh, now risks with that um, and uh Again, uh, manipulations have been proven to be a lot safer than anything that obviously invades the the human body. But I believe the FDA just just released that. I cannot recall the numbers off the top of my head and stuff. But um, yeah. oh, very interesting. I di- I didn't even know that. Uh, I'm gonna have to look that up and see what I can find. But yeah, I mean there are, there are way many um, interventions uh, or treatments that are out there that are more harmful to to the patient than a thrust and that was at least the old thought and i've pretty much been disproven i'll go over some of the research uh in a little bit that the thrust itself is not is what's causing uh the these dissections um you know a lot of it these patients may have been having some of these symptoms or in the midst of some type of stroke uh that you know that's why they're coming to a medical provider uh it's because they've had neck pain or a headache so what do we normally treat or what are chiropractors normally treat neck pain what is neck pain you know it could be from you know headaches or mechanical how do these dissections typically present with headaches or neck pain Mm -hmm. so very hard for us to truly diagnose and not just us primary care physicians imaging chiropractors it, this is not just something that we can detect via any type of evaluative screen. And I'll get into that a little more, but uh, I'll like kind of, you know, say your piece next. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, um, I kind of agree more with all that. And um, yeah, I think we need to, I think uh, just need to better educate people uh, to uh, say that, uh, these things are safe and it can be a good viable option. We see it in certain like little groups of, you know, so obviously the manual therapy kind of population and physical therapy, chiropractic and stuff. Um, but I think maybe as a whole and starts off with our education from the start to kind of promote that, you know, these techniques are safe and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, let's, let's get people off the more dangerous path of, you know, surgeries and stuff. So, um, yeah, to, to go into, uh, I guess the, the mechanisms and the, the, the approach, of you know, it's not that thrusting mechanism that is causing the dissection. Uh, there have been a couple studies. Uh, one was by Simons in 2002 and one by Herzog, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, in I believe 2012 that looked at the forces to the vertebral artery during uh, not only manipulation, but they looked at uh, range of motion and they found out there's actually more stress placed on the vertebral artery during range of motion. Uh, And so it's, you know, it's not that thrust that is causing these mechanical failures. Uh, I guess in the Herzog study also, now they took this to an extreme, they took, they took rabbits and uh, provided thrust at about 6% of the mechanic, the, the amount uh, of uh, or maximum amount of mechanical stress it would take to 
cause of uh, the vertebral artery to have failure. And they did a thousand manipulations to that neck at about 6% of force and no mechanical trauma was um, exhibited in the vertebral arteries. They also then took it at about 30%. Uh, and that, and they did the same thing, 30% mechanical stress of max tension. And that uh, a thousand times that yielded some mechanical damage, but it's not until, you know, not only, a severe amount of stress, but a lot of repetitions in a short amount of time. And, you know, that's just not what we're doing in the clinic. So yeah. I meant to go off of that, like with what you're saying with like, I mean, me, when I start off my career and stuff, and when I talk to students and stuff, especially the cervical spine, like we have a lot of techniques for the foot, the ankle and everything like that. But a lot of our, you know, definitely entry level or even seasoned clinicians what we do when someone has problems like rotation and stuff, they passively, you know, rotate and stretch the, the neck and you're, you're seeing more stress with that than or with a quick stretch with a manipulation. So correct. And what's the VBI test? Passively rotate them all the way and hold it for him. Yep. So, yeah. So, you know, maybe we should, uh, think beyond, uh, you know, one test or two tests and kind of evaluate and progress to more of a system-based thinking, looking at a broad range of, uh, you know, cardiovascular factors. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you alluded to earlier, maybe it's not that older patient we should be worried about. Maybe it's those younger patients we should have a little more caution with. However, that's not to say that we shouldn't manipulate those. It's just maybe we need to step our game up uh, in terms of our examination and questioning. Mm -hmm. so what would you um what for our viewers or obviously our listeners what would what's your best uh, approach to do you know some screening or what are some things that you hear or and what are some things that you do um to kind of try and rule out things to kind of prep for someone you know during your examination you're like i think this person's appropriate for manipulation yeah so Anytime I'm, I'm dealing with the neck, I'm going to do my, my normal screening of range of motion, active, passive. I usually add an overpressure, maybe some combined motions, quadrant testing. Uh, and I, I start with there, do my upper limb tension test, things like that, depending on, you know, how they're presenting. But you, uh, you alluded to earlier, testing those cranial nerves. And that wasn't something that was taught in school as a correlation. Maybe we should look at our cranial nerves uh, for any patient that might have any type of neurological problem that, and we want to do you know, cervical manipulation, especially those lower cranial nerves, uh, they're going to be probably indicated in the, an indication, uh, or they may indicate more. So I just want to get my verbiage right of some type of pathology going on than some of the other testing that, that was taught, you know, for instance, the VBI testing. Um, so, I've definitely over the past couple of years have honed in on my cranial nerve testing if I want to perform uh, any manual therapy, but especially uh, manipulations. Uh, another thing I look at in questioning is mechanisms. Mm. Uh, I think that that kind of gets overlooked. Um, we think of maybe a car accident, but how about sporting events, lifting those jerking motions? You alluded to CrossFit. You know, there's a lot of cleaning jerks. There's a lot of snatches. There's a lot of kipping, a lot of high volume motions. 
Uh, how about construction workers that have to kind of look up for a prolonged period of time? Those are going to be something I look for, at least in my evaluation of maybe, you know, um, I should look out for some of these mechanisms to see if there's any undue stress over the past, you know, week or whatever they've been uh, complaining of uh, symptoms for. So uh, there's one other thing which is um, kind of debated, but I'll hold off. I want to hear what you kind of do with your uh, examination before I, I dive into it. Uh, yeah, I kind of go through the same kind of approach. I, you know, obviously first I start, begin with obviously the questionnaire, um, you know, get a good subjective history. That's going to tell you a lot of the things. Uh, I'll also throw in like those kind of, you know, red flag screening questions of the, you know, the, the five D's of dizziness, you know, uh, or the five D's um, just like, you know, any difficulty speaking, talking, swallowing. Uh, sometimes like they, you know, especially with the swallowing, um, you know, I get that a couple of times and that'll kind of make me, you know, want to pry a little bit more to see what's kind of going on with that um you know facial numbness start asking those questions you'll start to hear people report some things maybe some dizziness uh with no other past medical history that's kind of associated with that or obviously since the mechanism of injury or the onset of symptoms that's when i'm starting to be like okay um i need to do some other things you know start maybe you know do vital signs start doing your cranial nerve testing um, but as you're saying, start especially those lower cranial nerves and just kind of bang them out and see if there's anything else. And then uh, obviously with your typical myotomal, um, you know, reflex uh, and kind of dermatology, uh, dermatome assessment, uh, I'll throw those in. And um, that's pretty much what I'll go through with that. But definitely more of an emphasis on those cranial nerves. That's not something that I really used at all until, you know, following residency and um, talking more with you and, you know, just more coursework and stuff wasn't something that I really did, uh, I'll be honest. So, yeah. And then uh, I was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, definitely more indicated to do this. So, um, you know, I might miss a, a, a cranial nerve or two, but definitely, definitely want him, if, especially if I think that someone who'd benefit from it. Yeah, uh, we we aren't taught, and and the uh, at least in the entry level to to have a, a such a broad based um, examination like this. And if we are, we're probably just missing it because of everything else that we have to learn. And there's no, you know, practicality that's associated with it when we're in school. Uh, and you bring up the the points about dizziness and the five the five Ds and the three Ns. Uh, dizziness is you know there could be cervicogenic dizziness. Mm -hmm. um, there can be a vestibular problem, you know, how do we know that unless we're, we're testing these, uh, and when we do test it and if they do come up positive, do, how do we detect if it's something that's more serious, like a dissection, or is it just something that's, you know, uh, cervicogenic in nature? Uh, and that's where our evaluation really comes in and our questioning really comes in. And we, as, as therapists really need to kind of step up our game. But, uh, lastly here, uh, I want to bring in that vascular check because uh, there has been, you know, evidence and suggestions by, uh, you know, I'll talk about Roger Carey that talks about, you know, pr uh, performing uh, blood pressure checking and, and looking at arthrosclerosis risk factors. Uh, and then we have on the other side of things, uh, 
So that that article I'm referencing was by Roger Carey in 2009, and then we have an article by uh, Lucy Thomas in 2000, back ones 2015 and 16 that said uh, CV factors probably aren't as big as a risk factor as we once thought. So that had me thinking, you know, do I need to be doing blood pressure checks uh, more often, or should should I not do it at all now? I'll be honest here. I work in a private practice. I work in an outpatient clinic. I think most of my patients are healthy. I rarely um, check my blood pressure on my patients. Only if something's presenting or kind of talking to me, uh, you know, I'll check it. Then I came across the carry and I started doing it a little bit more. Then I read the Lucy Thomas and I kind of backed off. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I don't need to do it. So I'm not here to say whether whether or not that depends on many factors. And I think everybody's different uh, clinical experience and, and work setting um, definitely, you know, leads to whether you or whether you shouldn't do it. But, you know, you talk to some of the, you know, the iPhone guidelines or even, you know, the movers and shakers out there, um, you know, they'll probably say do your vascular check. But where where are you at with this? Um, yeah, now it's 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 definitely not as much, and I also think my, um, to be honest, my regular standard blood pressure cuff, my manual one, uh, pretty, I think it ripped. So I have a wrist one that I'll use, but I never really trust the wrist ones. Uh, it's it's uh, I, have to, I have to put my Amazon order in, but uh, that happened this last week while I was at my resident in, but um. Yeah, I actually, if I'll do it, it's it's actually towards, if I'll do it, I'll do it at the end of my exam, after everything, actually, sometimes after, um, before, I'm already kind of starting to go in my plan of care, I'm like, you know, I'll, you know, there was some, you know, if there's any fishiness or something, that's when I'll start to, I'll, I'll put in the blood pressure, maybe a history of hypertension and stuff, but it's not part of my normal routine anymore, Um yeah, I've kind of went through that ebbs and flow of, you know, testing everyone, not testing one. I, I'm pretty sure there's actually even a hashtag out there in the physical therapy realm. I can't remember exactly what it is. Is it maybe vital signs, everyone, or I can't remember. But there's a, there's a movement that we being now moving towards the primary practitioners of, um, you know, in, in, in medicine that we should vital signs, everyone. And uh, again, my my average population is you know 20s to you know 30s so uh, i do have a healthy population uh, so far i would think most uh, most of my population are um, college students and they have to have a physical before they start school so again i don't use it too much but it'd probably be towards the end of the examination versus a i gotta do it for everyone yeah, I think if we're, we're going to make that move to the primary provider, and we should, and um, I guess my next uh, stat will, will kind of allude to that. We need to start, um, I guess, taking the onus on us and, and not relying on what other people should have done or what we think other people should have done. And I say that because you said they, they've had physicals and we're kind of relying on, you know, that their job was done uh, the, the job was done correctly, but, um, you know, that's not to call you out or anything. Yeah. That's, that's me too. I'm, I'm guilty of not checking blood pressure maybe as often as I should. Um, so, you know, just some food for thought for our, our listeners out there. Uh, we should really be questioning what we're doing. Um, and it's funny cause I have, I have all these slides in here. 
um, and especially when, when I do uh, our, our presentations, but, you know, I guess do as I say, not as I do type of th- deal. Um, but, it, you know, also lends to the fact of clinical decision-making. Maybe not everybody needs to have it done. Maybe we, we just have to do a better job of determining when and who uh, needs certain screening. You know, it's it's kind of like imaging. You know, do we um, do we, should we put everybody through an MRI? No. You know, does everybody need their blood pressure taken? I don't know yet, but you know, just some some uh, something to keep in mind there. Uh, and the last part I was going to brought up uh, was a, a study done by Cassidy in 2008 that looked at uh, CAD rates, uh, arterial dissection rates, uh, in people who have seen. Uh, chiropractors, uh, I believe the timeline was about uh, up to a month uh, prior to uh, their dissection, or primary care physicians up to a month prior to dissection. And uh, bottom line, there were no uh, differences between the two. So the, the primary care physicians did no better job in preventing or screening out or uh, you know anything with uh, CAD involvement uh, versus a chiropractor. Uh, I believe there were some other differences uh, on the negative side towards the PCPs uh, and not the Kairos. I can't remember those off the top of my head right now, but that was a, a pretty eye-opening study when I read that. So that's a, a Cassidy 2008, if anybody's uh, interested in looking that one up. I'll give you some more insight on how a lot of these uh, instances are spontaneous and, you know, we're probably not at fault for, for any of these. Now that doesn't mean go and be reckless and just start, you know, wailing away. We still have to do our, our due diligence and, and screen and be selective with certain patients. But, you know, also understand that it's probably outside of uh, what we can be able, what our ability to diagnose is anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then that's it. It's that constant monitoring of your patients. If uh, there are times where we thought the intervention was going to be a home run hit or a definite, um, positive uh, result and it starts not turning that way and you're left with the decision. Do you continue doing what you're doing? Do you modify it? Do you stop doing what you're doing? Or is it bad enough or something fishy is going on and you need to make that referral out? And it's probably, you know, during those cases, obviously it's impossible to tell because it's just statistics and numbers, but how often are those when someone, you know, didn't, wasn't, you know, listening to their patient or didn't ask questions um, and the patient was getting progressively worse and the practitioner didn't do, make the right call in, in, you know, referring out. But again, as you're saying with the PCPs versus the Kairos, again, how, you know, how, how good can we actually screen this? Um, it's, it is tough to say, and obviously with advancement of the professions, maybe we'll find things um, in the future, different telltale signs. Definitely. Clinical judgment, that's, that's probably the biggest uh, bottom line here, mm-hmm. usually clinical judgment. Someone comes in, mechanical neck pain, says uh, my neck needs, just needs to pop. You know, I'm probably thinking I could manipulate them day one if my screen checks out versus maybe having to be a little bit more um, – you know, cautious, but somebody else with, you know, some uh, factors, other concomitant factors there and high risk of hypertension and maybe some other uh, mechanisms geared towards their, their head and neck, maybe I'll, I'll hold off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I agree with you. All right. I'm sure this will, will come up again in uh, either this or a course or 
you know, if we start doing some more uh, IG live or Facebook live stuff, but definitely interesting. Uh, the conversation is an ever evolving one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think I'm done at least uh, uh, where we're at here. You have anything else uh, you want to add? Jerry? I mean, I mean, I have to, you know, the big thing, if I have to say anything, I, we have to kind of blame this on anyone. It's probably Liam Neeson and the, uh, you know, the Taken movies of, you know, him just cracking people and murdering them on the spot. And Damn. I think I was talking to a pharmacist, bud, and he's like, that's not even possible. He's like, if that's going to be the case, that person's dying, you know, minutes to hours later, you know, it's not that instantaneous at all. And he's, he's one of the smartest guys I know. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're over here referencing uh, Liam Neeson. I'm going to go way back. I'm going to go to Arnold Schwarzenegger and some of his movies. Oh. Um, it is not that easy to snap a neck. Let's just put it out there. I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, you could try. I don't even know. I don't know. Is there any even clinical cases where you could? I mean, no, there's always the, the, uh, reference to Navy SEALs and stuff, but, uh, uh, I, I don't even know. I mean, um, the, but, but again, that just shows that the amount of force needed to even probably just hurt someone's neck and not even actually, you know, break it. Mm-hmm. So let alone, you know, the minimal force that we're, we're applying here. And it, it's just that minimal. Yep. So way to go there, Hollywood. Ruining things yet again. <laughs> Um, yeah. All right. That's it for me on this end. All right. Sounds good, man. All right. Well, uh, catch you next time. Until next time, if there's anyone who's interested in any of the articles that we mentioned or anything like that, as we mentioned before, feel free to reach out to us. Um, our uh, personal, uh, you know, handles or uh, Doctor B Cruz, uh, Doctor B underscore Cruz for Brandon. Um, I'm at the Decent Doctor or business pages at Pursue PT Now and Trifecta Therapeutics or uh, our uh, our page on Facebook and Instagram at Manips and Sips. So, yeah, we'd love to, if anyone's interested or having Wyoming clinical conversation, feel free to message us or give us any recommendations in our uh, Sips uh, pursuits over here. All right, man. Sounds good. All right. That's... Bye, everyone. Have a good one.